Good morning, everybody. As Obed said, I'm Jeremy Frischnecht, um, and he gave a little brief introduction to me, but I just wanted to give you a few other things about me. Um, so yeah, I'm married to my w- lovely wife, Nicole, over there. We got married last October, so it's been just over five months. Um, yeah, and it's been a really sweet time so far. We'll see what happens, but <laughs> just kidding. Um, but yeah, so... We've been back in uh, San Diego for the past year and a half, about. Um, before that, we both did ministry overseas for about two years. Um, Nicole was in um, Germany, and I was in the Middle East, um, and that's actually how we met, um, which is super cool. Um, and we came back, and we got involved with King's Cross in uh, about October 2017, um, before it had even launched, and um, yeah, we've stuck around ever since. Um, it was weird. I was practicing with Nicole uh, earlier, or I guess yesterday, and I like practiced that with her, obviously, because you know you got to practice. And we were like, "Wow, like 2017. It's been like time has flying flown by." Um, but it's been cool to see King's Cross go from that little dingy basement over at uh, Baptist Church down there to this beautiful place here. So. Um, yeah, and then lastly, um, Nicole and I, we host the Bayho um, community group. Um, probably no one has heard of Bayho. I never heard of Bayho until we moved there. Um, but yeah, we host and we lead with the Jacks, um, and that's been cool. We've been going for a couple weeks now, um, and it's been cool to see just the community start to build together um, and for relationships to grow. Um, yeah, and we're excited to see what God continues to do through that. Without further ado, we're going to be going through Mark 6, 45 through 56 today. Yes, uh, there are Bibles if you don't have them right over here. I'll be reading from the ESV, um, so I'll let you get Bibles and get situated. Um, and once again, Mark six forty-five through 56. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. Walking on the sea. He meant to pass them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves but their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Genesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplace and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. 
This is the word of God. Please join me in prayer. Father God, um, we just thank you for this Sunday. We thank you for this church, this building um, that you've brought this community together, which is the church, um, to worship you, to praise you, to learn more about you, um, and just to be in community, Lord. Um, We ask right now, Lord, that you would prepare our hearts, um, Holy Spirit, prepare our hearts um, in whatever ways we need um, to hear your word and your truths, Lord. Um, We ask that you would be here, um, that you would speak through me, um, that you would give me clarity, um, and that you would give us all understanding um, for your word, Lord. Um, So we um, pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So, if you guys have been with us here at King's Cross the past, actually, many months, we've been going through the book of Mark, um, and most, more recently, the past couple of weeks, we've been going through Mark 6. Um, and so, in the beginning of Mark 6, we see Jesus goes to Nazareth, where he's rejected, and then we hear about John the Baptist getting beheaded. Um, which then leads us into what Obed talked about last week uh, with the loaves and the bread and the multiplication um, and Jesus feeding 5,000. And really, that leads us straight into this verse today. Um, As it says in verse 45, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. But really, in order to understand this a little better, we need to, some better context um, from last week and how these uh, two passages really come together as more one. Um, looking at Mark six thirty through 34 from last week, it reads, The apostles returned to Jesus and told them all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away to the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. So just as Obed talked about last week, for those who were here, Jesus knew that his disciples needed to rest ever since they had gone out two by two. But they never got it. As we just saw, the disciples were met by a crowd on the shore before they ever got to that desolate place to rest. Now, I know Obed talked briefly about rest last week, but I also wanted to um, touch on it briefly as well. Um, growing up, I always had a strong work ethic, um, and while I was at UCLA, the, my identity, um, er, the culture was always to be busy there, um, and my identity was in how busy I was or how many things I was involved in. Um, if someone would ask me, you know, how I was doing, the answer was always, good, things are really busy, um, and it wasn't until my time in the Middle East, actually, that God forced me to learn what it meant to rest. Um, it was there that I was slowly able to work into my weekly schedule, um, 
this rest, and, and I learned that it was only out of this rest that I was able to pour out and live for Christ. And I think what is cool here in this passage is that Jesus knows the disciples need to rest and to get away from these hordes of people. Um, and he fights for them to get that. It says immediately, this is immediately after the, the miracle, the breaking of the bread and the, and the fish. Um, and Jesus is here still fighting for the disciples to get that rest. Um, we saw that it, you know, it didn't happen, but Jesus is like, no, that rest still needs to happen. Um, so he fights for that, and he sends the disciples off. And just like the disciples, um, Jesus wants us to rest. Um, whether that is rest from ministry, like the disciples, um, rest from work, rest from the craziness of our everyday lives. Um, we can't continue in our own strength. And Jesus shows us at this time. What does he do? He himself goes up to the top of the nearby mountain and he prays, resting in the Father. Francis Chan says, there is no substitute for being alone with God. If you don't have time, you need to quit something to make room. Skip a meal, cancel a meeting, end some regular commitment. There is literally nothing more important you can do today. Well, I know that's definitely very convicting for me. I don't know how many times I have decided to do something else and push off spending time and resting in the Lord, or how many times I told myself, oh, I would rest later knowing fully that that time would probably never come. Um, Yeah, the answer would be a lot to that. Um, So the first question I have for you guys today is, are you making space for alone time with God where you can rest and be refilled in him? We can't continue moving forward day after day in our own strength. We need to be rested in the Lord to be able to live for the Lord. And the Lord invites us into what he's doing. But if we aren't resting in the Lord and being transformed by the renewing of his heart, being able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will, as it says in Romans 12, 2, we might miss out on God's call in our daily lives. Two weeks ago in our community group, actually, um, someone brought up this idea that when we miss God's call in our everyday lives, whether that is speaking encouragement to someone, just helping someone out, or even sharing Jesus with someone, we miss out on the opportunity to bless not only that person, but also ourselves. We miss the opportunity to see God use us to transform another person's life. And we see, and, and to see God at work is itself a blessing and encouragement for us. So here comes this idea that, uh, this idea of walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, or walking in step with the Spirit, that Paul talks about in his uh, letters to the early churches. Only when we are spending time with God in relationship and resting in the Lord do we become attuned to what God is saying. Whether that be through his word, through people around you, through dreams and visions, or even through a whisper. We need to be resting in the Lord to be in his word and be a part of God's will for us. So continuing along um, in in the passage in verses 47 and 48, um, 
It reads, And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea. And he was alone on the land, and he saw that they were making headway painfully. For the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass them by. Now by the time evening had come, it says the disciples were still out on the water, and Jesus was on the land. Now, the fourth watch here is referring to this time of 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. in the morning. So that's the the darkness right before dawn. Um, And as we can see, the disciples really haven't made any headway in their journey across the Sea of Galilee, Um, even though it's been, you know, several hours since they uh, got sent out. This also means that while while the disciples have been struggling across the water, Jesus has been up on this mountain praying for over 10 hours. Um, What this also means is that Jesus let the disciples struggle across the water for uh, for over 10 hours when he could have immediately went out to them um, when he saw that they were making no headway. Jesus also could have rebuked the winds and the seas from the land. We know from Mark 4 that he is more than capable of calming a storm. So why did Jesus wait, you might ask? I think this is a perfect example of a metaphor for how Jesus intervenes in our lives in times of trouble. He doesn't immediately take away all of our pain, solve all of our problems, or perform a miracle to fix something. He waits for us to call out to him. Through this story, Jesus also shows us how we should respond when someone near us is going through a hard time or a a trial or a crisis. So what is Jesus doing while he's waiting for the disciples to call out to him? As we saw in verse 48, Jesus saw disciples struggling against the wind. I don't know about you guys, but for me, if I knew of or saw someone I loved or cared about in danger or struggling, um, I, would, I couldn't just sit idly by. Um, I would want to do whatever it took to, like, to go and help them. Um, and especially if I had to sit by for 10 hours in prayer, my mind or my conscience would keep going back to the reality that they are in danger um, or that they are struggling, and it would take... Uh, it would be hard not to take any action um, at that point. But also, in reality, if you were in this situation, what could you actually do? If you were in Jesus' position and could see that your friends were struggling in the tumultuous waters, maybe you could get a boat, but you're just one person, um, and you'd probably just be putting yourselves in harm's way. Let's be real. Um, And I feel like this provides a perfect picture of the dilemma we often find ourselves in when someone near us is going through a hard time. We can oftentimes feel helpless in their situation. Can I really help them, we might ask ourselves, or am I going to cause more harm than good? So what can we do in this situation? Well, we can pray. And Jesus shows that we should intercede on on behalf of others just as Jesus is interceding on behalf of the disciples during their hours of struggling across the sea. Jesus sees the disciples struggling, and he prays for them. 
Sometimes this is all we can do for someone when they begin struggling through a storm. Now, continuing in verse 49 and 50, we see that Jesus finally intervenes in this situation. Starting in 49, it says, But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost. And they cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. So not only were the disciples fearing for their lives because they were stuck in the middle of the Sea of Galilee for a second time, um, but now they were scared of this spirit-like being that was walking across the water towards them. Um, You have to wonder at this point what the disciples might be thinking. Maybe they're questioning why they even let uh, themselves be convinced by Jesus to go into the boat um, and sail across the Sea of Galilee for a second time. Maybe um, they are even starting to doubt who they believe Jesus to be. But in fear and confusion over this being or ghost that looked like Jesus, the disciples cried out in terror. And it's not until the disciples cry out that Jesus actually intervenes into this situation. Continuing with this metaphor of how Jesus intervenes in our lives during hardship, I think that most of the time, Jesus waits for us to cry out to him. And why does he do this? If you've been around Christian culture at all for a while, you might have heard of this idea of having a relationship with Jesus. But what does this really mean to have a relationship with Jesus? Jesus wants us to call out to him um, and wants us to reach out to him and call to him. Um, Jesus wants us to know and love the face behind the help, not just the help. And this is what Jesus shows the disciples before he helps their situation. He reminds them that it is he who is there with them, and he who is going to stop the winds and the waves. I think when we forget to cry out to God in desperation Um, and just expect him to intervene in our lives. Um, We risk viewing God as a Santa-like God or a vending machine God. Um, And we miss out on the relational aspect or the relationship that Jesus really desires uh, with us. And the first thing that Jesus does when he intervenes with the disciples is based in relationship. He says, take heart, it is I, Do not be afraid. Um, And Jesus is telling them that he is there with them. And this is a comfort to the disciples because they have a relationship with each other. Um, And in addition to this relational aspect that these words hold, they point to a much greater proclamation that provides comfort not only to the disciples, but provides comfort to our lives too. What Jesus is saying here is ego eimi, which in Greek means I am he, or I am. Jesus is saying, it is I am. Now Jesus is using the name that God told the Israelites to call him in Exodus three thirteen through 14. This verse reads, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel, And say to them, 
the God of your fathers, has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Now Jesus, therefore, is saying that he is God. That he is the Yahweh of the Old Testament. Now this changes everything. Um, Take heart, it is I am. Take heart, it is I, God. Now this is powerful to hear. And this is the first thing that Jesus says to disciples before even calming the storm. I think it's important to note that God doesn't always respond the way we would expect. The first thing that Jesus does when he approaches the boat isn't calm the waves and the storm and the winds. No, he encourages the spirit of the disciples, saying, take courage. It is I, God, don't be afraid. And this should be just as encouraging to us today Uh, A lot of times, God intervenes with just the reminder that he is God, and he is with us. And maybe this is something you need to hear in your life right now. Sometimes taking away the waves and the wind are not what need to happen. Sometimes these words of encouragement and the reminder that God is with you is all you need to endure the storm. Now, I want to pause for a second and take a step back and look at this story through the lens of the world, which I hope in return will help us apply this to our lives even more. Just as Jesus didn't have to enter the sea to rebuke the winds and could have rebuked the winds from the land, Jesus could have saved us without ever leaving heaven. He didn't have to enter into this world being fully man, but we would never know the true nature and care of God if Jesus would have stayed in heaven. And if Jesus is really God as he is proclaiming to be, this really does change everything. This should be the ultimate comfort to us that through Christ's death and resurrection on the cross, our sins were completely forgiven. Because only a perfect sacrifice could ever cover our sins. And that the only way this sacrifice could be perfect is if Jesus was God. So looking at this through the le- this lens adds even more encouragement in times of trials when we hear the words, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. We're reminded that sin has been defeated and Christ has already won. And we can have assurance in our salvation through Jesus Christ, no matter the trial we are going through. And I think this is the ultimate encouragement. And to see how Jesus further proves his divinity, we need to look at this metaphor of chaotic waters that appears throughout the Bible. Not only does Jesus bring the winds and the waves to a standstill without saying anything, but he masters the water by walking on it. You have to imagine the storm wasn't calmed yet. The the water isn't glass. 
there are waves that Jesus is either walking over or just, you know, imagine him just the waves parting around him or something. I don't know. But um, culturally, you know, water is equated with, or water was equated with danger, death, and evil. And this remains true today, even though we might not realize it or believe it. Um, But water is an image to the threat of human life. Even this last week, there have been headlines in the news of the flooding that's been happening in the Midwest and the flooding of the aftermath of the hurricane in Mozambique. Water does what it is going to do, and God is the only one who has ever mastered it. We see in Genesis 1 that God told the waters where to go, and he separated and contained it into the sky and in the ground. Jesus is not only claiming that he is God when he says, I am, but also that he is God when he shows his mastery over the water. His command over the water means he has dominion over danger, death, and evil. He even has uh, dominion or command over the threats to human life. This truth is an added comfort when we are facing times of hardship. Now, how does this reality that Jesus is God affect our lives more than it being just a comfort when the seas of our life are rough? In verse 51 and 52, it says, And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Or in the NIV it says, for their hearts were hardened. Um, Here, Jesus finally brings the winds to a stop. And the disciples were in shock because they finally realized, or began to realize, that Jesus was more than just a prophet. Jesus had been showing the disciples time and time again that he was more than a prophet, that he was the son of God. Not even after the miraculous multiplication uh, that we talked about last week of the loaves and the fish did they understand. For their hearts were hardened. Now this idea of hardened hearts shows up numerous times throughout the Bible, both the Old and the New Testament. Um, And it's this idea that When hearts are hardened, they have become like stone that is impenetrable. That is, nothing is able to get through, and we are not able to understand. Now, I think that this really is the state of humanity. Ever since the fall, our natural disposition as humans is to have a hardened heart. Um, And in Ezekiel 36, 26, God says, And I will give you a new heart, and new spirit. I will put within you, or excuse me, I'll reread that. Okay, sorry. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Now, this in this verse, God is prophesying through Ezekiel of the transformation that occurs when we put our faith in Jesus. We are filled with the Holy Spirit, and then we are able to truly understand. However, just because 
we have hearts of flesh now that we are a believer doesn't mean that our heart can't become hardened. Our hearts get hardened through sin, through being deceived by the things of this world, and by not spending time with the Creator, thus not walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. In Ezekiel, God says, A new spirit I will put within you, and it is this spirit, the Holy Spirit, that keeps our hearts flesh. Has your heart become hardened to the reality of who Jesus is? Do you believe that Jesus is alive today and that the Holy Spirit lives within you? Is your hardened heart causing you to limit what you believe God is capable of doing in your life and in this world? Verses 53 through 56 give, it, give us a taste of the power of Jesus when belief and understanding are not limited to our own hardened hearts. Starting in 53, the verses read, When they had crossed over, they came to land at Genesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him. And he ran about the whole region, and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Now, contrast this to the beginning of Mark, when Jesus visits Nazareth, where he uh, grew up, and only a few people were healed because their hearts were so hardened. In Genesaret and the surrounding area, we are shown what happens when people's hearts are not hardened. The people at Genesaret knew Jesus was more than a prophet, and they had faith that they would be healed. And I think this paints a beautiful picture of what God does and can still do today when our hearts are a flesh and not hardened. Are we unashamedly calling out to God, trusting and knowing that he will move? This next week, we are joining a bunch of churches to pray for a revival here in San Diego and up the West Coast. Um, are you truly believing that God is more than capable of making this revival happen? As a pessimist, personally, it is, it is hard at times for me to believe that a revival can really happen, um, especially when I read the news and just examine and reflect on the state of the world today. I know that this is an area I need to work in, not limiting what I believe God can do because of my hardened heart. I very rarely find myself unashamedly calling out to God, trusting and knowing that he will move. And so as I finish up, I wanted to ask these questions again to you guys. Um, one, has your heart become hardened to the reality of who Jesus is? Two, 
Do you believe that Jesus is alive today and the Holy Spirit lives within you? And three, is your hardened heart causing you to limit what you believe God is capable of doing in your life and in this world? Please pray with me. Father God, um, we thank you for your word. We thank you um, that through your son, um, you have given us salvation. Um, And we thank you that in this story, Jesus so clearly proclaims that he is God. And we thank you that this truth is profound. Uh, We thank you that because of this truth, we are comforted through trials, through tribulations, and through the state of this world. We can put our hope in what has happened, what you've accomplished, Jesus, by dying on the cross and being resurrected and paying for our sins. So I ask that you would continue to be with us, Lord, as we go into this time of reflection. Um, Would we examine our hearts? Would we examine what parts are hardened or have become numb to you or or not being able to believe what you are capable of doing in our lives and in this world? We pray that we wouldn't be able to, or I pray that we wouldn't undermine or believe less than you are capable of doing, Lord. For you are capable of doing more than we could ever imagine. Um, as Obed said, you, can, you would do more in a moment than we would try to do in our lifetime. So I thank you for this truth, Lord. Um, we love you. Let me pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, um, we're going to go into a time of reflection. Um, and really this time is geared towards you and Jesus. And we want you guys to be able to reflect on what you've heard today. Maybe reflect on some of the questions that I had for you um, but also these four questions, and I think these questions are great, um, and Oba's been asking them the past couple of weeks um, as we've gone into this time of reflection. Um, so I'm going to read these questions, um, and just, yeah, enjoy this time of just being able to talk with the Lord, um, and then Dan will direct you guys to stand up and join in worship. So these questions are, one, what has God been saying to you from the message? Two, what do you need to do? Three, when will you do it? And four, who will help you? <laughs>